Welcome back, everybody. It's Mark Steiner right here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And on our way to our conversation, I want to remind you the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by the Maryland State Education Association. From limiting over testing to protecting public school funding, you can learn more about the issues facing Maryland students, parents, and schools by visiting the Maryland State Education Association's website at MarylandEducators.org. That's MarylandEducators.org. Or at SteinerShow.org is the Maryland State Education Association's banner. We go local this hour. We're here with David Troy, co-founder of 410 Labs, co-founder of the Baltimore Election 2016 Facebook page, which always has really illuminating discussions, I think. David, good to see you again in the studio. It's Baltimore City Voters now, remember? Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. You changed. Thank you so much. <laughs> no worries. We'll get no our worries. producers to get that right here. Yeah, you just Baltimore get that in City the permanent voters. notes. Yeah, but uh, glad <laughs> to be here, the permanent notes. There we are, in the permanent notes. <laughs> Carl Stokes in the house, former Baltimore City Councilman, former uh, founder of the Banneker Blake Academy of Arts and Sciences. Good to have you in the house. I'm glad to be here. And full disclosure, again, I like to do this on top, even though I say it all the time, I'm on the board of Banneker Blake, Yes, which uh-huh. is not why he's here. Uh, and uh, he's on the, on the board of the Center for Emerging Media, which is not why he's here. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Just to put that out there. <laughs> Let's get that out there. I like to get full disclosure. Luke Broadwater is a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, who always focuses on local and state politics. Joining us from City Hall, Luke, good to have you with us. Good morning. And Dr. K. Whitehead remains in the house, uh, Associate Professor of Communication, African and African American Studies at Leola University of Maryland, and author of numerous books, including My Black Sons, Raising Boys in a Post-Racial America. Hey, I'm on spring break, so I'm just hanging out with Steiner. 410 They're all different. My daughter's is next week. 410 is the number uh, here, or join us at, uh, by email at talk at steinershow.org. But do join us. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. We want to hear your ideas. We're going to cover, as we did last week here on the roundtable, <clears throat> both policing and education. Mm. But let me start with policing. Mm. Oh. So seven officers were indicted in federal court. It looks like all of them are being forced to remain in jail. Detective Jamel Ryan, uh, Detective Dan Hersel, Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, Detective Avadio Hendricks, Detective Marcus Taylor, Detective Maurice Ward, Detective, Detective Mamadou Gondo. Um, I'm charged with a series of things in terms of, which jeopardizes all the cases they were involved in that Mosby prosecuted mm-hmm. and other people prosecuted. <clears throat> um, and then there's a quote from one of your colleagues um, Luke Broadwater, Justin Fenton, in a tweet. We love Twitter. We, we do love Twitter. Um, <clears throat> at least we're a little bit more controlled than the man in the White House. But anyhow. <laughs> that was last hour. That was last hour. No, sorry, sorry. So, so, so. <laughs> um, but Justin Fenton tweeted um, that uh, yesterday, I think it was, Davis, referring to Commissioner Davis, or police commissioner, Davis said if he suspended every officer under investigation, He'd have to, he'd quote have to shut down significant portions end quote of agency, and he should. What does that mean? Yeah. yeah what so, does that mean? Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's not for me. Sure. So um, for all of you, but go ahead. The, com- the commissioner was asked um, <clears throat> basically, you know, why um, you have all these internal investigations going on. Uh, why why aren't more of these guys off the streets immediately if they're under suspicion? And he. <laughs> So he said what he said, which is um, we know that oh, there are many internal investigations going on in the Baltimore Police Department. There's, uh, as we know, federal investigations going on. Um, and it, I think it was an honest acknowledgement at the level of, <clears throat> of suspicion and misconduct uh, in the agency. Um, that's not to say that all cops are, are, are bad or doing bad things. But um, it was, I think that was an honest acknowledgement that there are deep-seated problems in the, in the Baltimore Police Department. And if you were to suspend everybody who was under suspicion, um, you maybe even couldn't run the agency. Yeah, and I, I would uh, quibble. Carl with, Stokes. I would quibble some here. I, I may have been um, truthful, but it wasn't honest. What do you it mean? Was, I mean, it's truthful that he would have to. If he were honest, he would do it. He mm. would not let bad cops stay on the street. Mm-hmm. He would not let cops continue to rob innocent citizens. He would not let cops uh, do drug dealing. He would not let cops cover for other cops. Actually, the commissioner and his command staff are covering for each other, as well as covering. I, I mean, they know who are dirty. They know who are corrupt. And they allow them to continue to do their jobs. 
That's what I mean by that, that they're dishonest, that what happens inside of of uh, police headquarters on Fayette Street is exactly sometimes what happens on the street. Cops cover for others. Even internal, even inside of police headquarters, they're covering for one another. And command staff, you know, I know, that you don't have seven guys of an elite small unit and supervisors and their colleagues are not aware of what they're doing. And if they tell you they're not aware, then they should have been fired the same day that the cops were hauled off to jail. You know, you can put those, you shouldn't hold those cops, frankly. This is my smart ass. You shouldn't hold those cops in jail. You should take their badge and gun and put them back on the street. Mm-hmm. Put them on the street and let the people who they've beat up, shot, mm. and robbed have a shot at them. Mm. Man. Quite a statement. Uh, I mean, and we know. can explore that in a minute, but yeah, yeah, David Troy, and your thoughts are there four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. I mean, I think your your point is well made, Carl. I think you know, uh, with these officers that were just you know indicted and arrested, I mean, um, they had to know that those investigations were going on, and yet they there they were continuing to serve. So, how many others are in that position now? I do think that. It's probably true that there are people who are, you know, uh, perhaps unjustly under some suspicion and perhaps, you know, Commissioner Davis was referring to people who are in that position who, you know, maybe, uh, you know, somebody accused them of something they didn't do it, what have you. But I, I think that your your overall point is right, that there are just probably a lot of people that are being kind of, you know, uh, had had cover be made for them. And I think that it's time that we get a lot more honest about how the department operates. I also think that you know, the amount of money that we're talking about in this overtime case is about $150 million. Mm. And you and I both have been yeah. saying right. for at least five years. By at least that, five years. You know, we need to be auditing the internals of the yes. police department right. and specifically overtime. So, yes. yeah, so this is, this again, is, cra- I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say this is, I, I, let me just say, Carl, I love being on with you. I love your passion. I agree. Take their guns and badges, put them back out there. Right. Uh, and and let, let them answer to the people that they've been mistreated. I think another issue that as we explore this is talking about the fact that when we're now turning another eye to what people within the communities have been saying. Mm-hmm. You want to know why is it that there are certain communities where they don't trust the police officers. Right. That when we complain, that when they come into our communities, they come in to abuse us and to take from us and to oppress us, that there was this feeling, no, no, you're not looking at the situation right. You're not being very truthful. You don't understand they're there to serve and protect and help you. This is exactly what communities talked about, particularly during the Baltimore uprising. Why is there a fear of the police officer? Who are the dirty right. cops who roll up and do the same thing to oppress the communities. Now we're looking at it again. So finally, maybe the next time the communities yell out and say we need a civilian review board, but we help to review the cops that are in our communities, we will take those people very seriously. So the hundred. So, so I mean, you just made it says to me here, David. I want to make sure we are clear about this. Um, and, and Luke, is 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 the overtime one hundred and fifty million dollars? Is that well, n- not for these seven officers. No, I think what David's referring to is if you add up the overtime spending over a number of years where the police department has gone over budget, um, then you're talking about that large a number. Uh, these these seven officers, though, some of them did double their salaries with overtime. It's unclear whether all of that was fraudulent or not. Uh, it's alleged that at least some of it is. There were some people who were uh, on vacation. On vacation. Uh, the feds alleged while well, they were running up overtime or at a, a blackjack table. Um, so there were um, so some some clear instances, according to the to the uh, federal indictment. Um, I would like to say just to illuminate a little more on Davis's comment. If you uh, one look at all the people under investigation uh, in the police department, it is it is quite widespread. Um, but remember that that is not all allegations of uh, abuse. Um, some of it is. Um, maybe being disrespectful to your managing officer or um, not wearing your uniform in the proper way or missing a court date. Um, then on the other hand, you, if, you were, if you walk down to the Civilian Review Board, you will see cases and cases of allegations against many, many officers. And um, the pattern has been that most of those are not um, given validity by the police department. So there's lots of people with complaints against them, but not... Well, when you, well, well, not let me stop you from... Then they, if I can jump in on this particular ahead, comment, but what do you mean not given validity? How do we know what that I mean validity? Is, How many are not given validity? What do we mean by that? So uh, we did an investigation of this some time ago, and if you look at how trial boards handle things, the almost 
almost uniformly, the only time a trial board punishes someone for uh, coming out of a citizen complaint is when a, another police officer says, yes, I agree with that, they acted inappropriately. Almost never, just on the word of a citizen, does a police officer get internal punishment. They need another cop to validate that. Um, that is the way things have been done. I know that there's a lot of um, pressure um, and urgency to change the way things have been done. Um, Jill Carter's now the head of the civilian uh, review board uh, in that office over there. I know she's pushing for change, and I know that um, Mayor Pugh wants to add um, civilians to the trial boards as well. So I think people are unhappy with the status quo, um, but um, the, the, the record is plain for anyone to see. Most of these things are, are kicked out. They're not, um, they're not upheld. And yet, Luke, you say that uh, if the trial board doesn't have a police officer to corroborate a citizen's report, and yet turn that around, we certainly expect merely on the basis of a police report that a citizen gets taken down, that those reports that a cop says happen. Now, listen, let me repeat what I've said 60 million times. Most of the cops are not corrupt, but most of the cops cover for their brothers and sisters, cover for their brothers and sisters. And my people, your people, our people, meaning the citizens, believe that most cops are bad cops because they cover for one another. Not that they believe they're corrupt or that they're thieves, but they do believe. They've turned a corner here where they would say, citizens, average citizens would say, you know, most, the greater majority of cops are good cops. Now they're saying, my son died. My daughter got beat up. He robbed us. And I tell him the truth, and he goes and tells the cop that I reported on that I snitched on him. So yep. we also do this, David Troy, in the context, and then we we'll open the phones here, in the context um, of a city that does not seriously wrestle with what an alternative public safety model would look like, uh, right. built on social justice, in the midst of a rising shooting and murder rate in Baltimore, mm-hmm. which is really, for many communities, where these takes where these takes place off the charts, right. a rise in carjackings, a rise in street robberies. Right. Those were all real too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, sure. So we're not, this is not. It's a, it's a it's a complex matter here about what road to take and what a mayor should do and how you proceed. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that's you know interesting that happened this week was that uh, you know the bill that was introduced in the state legislature to return control of the police department to the city was, right. in <laughs> fact, uh, effectively it, it seems like it's going to be withdrawn um, and because of the fear of of, of extra lawsuits. costs around lawsuits, and it right. has to do with the sovereignty right. that the state provides uh, to the department by virtue of being a state agency. I really don't claim to understand this. I'd like to get more uh, understanding of this. I mean, I think the real question here is like, what's the difference between Baltimore City and the other police departments that operate in, say, the other you know right. uh, yeah. counties in Maryland? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, perhaps it's that we are more differentially exposed to uh, you know liability because of uh, these kinds of cases. Right. But I think um, if that's the case, we need to start to review how that works. We need to start passing laws that fix that situation because this situation, you know, that the ACLU pushed to get this bill introduced because really the city council doesn't really have good overview of the uh, police department. And I think that, you know, that's a situation where citizens are not adequately represented. We have exactly one lever through which to control, well, two levers through which to control the police department. We can either, the mayor can fire the commissioner or we can, um, you know, and we can dictate the overall budget. But beyond that, there's not a lot that can be done. Yeah, that was, I was pretty shocked by that. And also, the, the explanation of the mm-hmm. lawsuits, which I didn't – I mean, that seems right. – that also says a lot in itself. So let me open the phone to Carl. Mm-hmm. We'll come right back to you and also oh, get Kay's voice back Thanks. in. 410-319-8888. Uh, let's go to Jim. Line four, you're on the air. Jim, welcome. Hi, Jim. You there? Jim? You're not there. Uh, Ernest, you're on the air. Welcome. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning, Uh, Ernest. Now, this has been going on all over the United States since there is a police department. 
They even made a movie in New York, 57 Precinct, where the whole precinct was involved in selling drugs. And even before that, they had the Moling Commissioner, where police was getting high on drugs in New York and buying uh, guns and selling guns and all that. This has been going on in Los Angeles, uh, um, uh, Chicago, Philadelphia, you name it. Now, the reason why police don't talk and inform, because if you have a family and you have a, a child in college and if you're informed on them, nobody is going to protect your job. You're going to get fired. You're going to get forced out. Right. So, and, and that's the same reason. In most professions, people don't don't talk because you'll be you'll be think, uh, pointed out and and let go. Didn't Officer Crystal, um, Detective Crystal, report a police officer? Mm-hmm. He went to the FOP. He went to Bob uh, Cherry at the time. Bob Cherry, <clears throat> and said, "Look, can't you save me? They threatened my house. They put a rat on my car." And what did Bob Cherry, according to him, say? It's blood in and blood out. That's, that's gang talk, blood in and blood out. Now, they could have easily stopped this kind of situation. First of all, for taking bribes and fights like that, you get caught, you're going to get fired, you're going to be prosecuted. But you can kill a man. You can kill an individual like Freddie Gray. You can kill a person like Anderson or any other of those people killed by police. And the citizens will back up the police. No hue and cry, for the most part. And they're not even tried. They are, uh, they are uh, tried civilly, pay out a big, big, big uh, bunch of money. And then those same people will probably be promoted. Now, if you got a squad like this, if you have a squad that's in drugs and vice and things, they are the, the units that usually get in trouble and somebody go to jail, those drugs. So what do you do about that? What you do about that is every so often you send them to an outside agency to be, or the FBI or whatever, and have them uh, put on a live box. Okay, so wait a minute. Ernest, we have a, a lot of callers, so what would, can you ask you to get to a point, and what, what, are you, what are you trying to take us with this? Well, what I'm trying to take is that and, and unless you have a strong police commissioner, these things are continue are going to happen. If you have a, a police commissioner that's not going to tolerate this kind of stuff, and when you get involved in something like Freddie Gray, immediately after the trial, you take it up on a trial board and fire, then these things are continue are going to continue to happen. Okay. Always good to hear from you, Ernest. I appreciate the call. And uh, yeah, the, the film you're talking about was actually the this uh, was '75, um, and it, it was a it was about a corrupt cop in a precinct. Others who who hid the stuff from public, but he actually went to jail for all of his kind of drug dealing and everything else that he was doing. I think the cop's name was Dowd, if I remember correctly. Mm. Film. But anyway, yeah. so uh, the question is what I, – I'm curious before we go back to the phones, I'll take this quick break. And, and let me see who's on the line here. Malik, we're going to come to your call next. And Hank, I see you call back as well. We'll get to you. But um, so, so what does the city do? I mean, where do you go with this? I mean, we've talked in the show about – Different models of public safety that don't that take some of the money out of the police, perhaps over time and more, and invest that in safe streets, out for justice, other groups that can work in the community to ameliorate the violence and 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 to create a system of community schools. So there's a there's a twenty four seven institutions in our communities that people can use and open the doors for therapy, for family work, for for gyms in the evening, schools and classes. Coming up with different models about how to do this. But you have, and I think that, I think it was important, Luke, what you said, because, I mean, there's this broad swath of why uh, officers um, are questioned about their behavior. Mm-hmm. Some of them are kind of, are very internal. Some have to do with the people in the community. Uh, you can't just fire everybody or suspend everybody who's, who's been accused of something. That seems to me would be violate certain rights, too. But, Absolutely. I mean, but you, you can't just let this continue. Maybe they're put on their desk. A desk job until this investigation is over, especially if it involves community and community violence. So, I mean, but where do you take this? What do we do? This, you, it just keeps going on and on without kind of a real thought, it seems to me, from our city leaders about where to take this. 
Well, I think that you know one thing we need to look at is the mayor's called now for a full audit of all this overtime. That's a really good start. But I mean, there was supposed to be an audit done last year. I've looked over the audit that was in fact completed, and it was lacking in every conceivable way. It was really, really not a, any kind of uh, informational document. Um, so, you know, I think as long as the internals of the police's budget, are, you know, are effectively a black box with no accountability, then we can expect to see more of this kind of stuff. So, I think, you know, the first step is to start getting really serious about uh, cleaning up the police finances. I was at an event the other night with the mayor, also, and she was talking about how. Uh, you know, the consent decree was going to impose additional costs that needed to come from somewhere. And I'm like, look, that needs to come from the police budget. You know, it shouldn't be some extra expense that the city's facing. We got other things we need to spend money on, as we well know. So, right. you know, right. I think really drilling down on the finances is where we need to go. We need a good, strong police commissioner who's no nonsense and is a real person. A real it, look, there have been. Not millions, not thousands, not dozens, but there have been a number of commissioners in the United States who have walked into departments and have changed the department around, just as there could be a general who walks into a command and changes the culture, the climate, and uh, the actions of the of, of those under his command. We need an officer, a, a commander, who doesn't necessarily need to have the respect and love of the men and women out on the street. You know, they kicked bats out because they quit on them. They took a knee on them. And, and the, Kevin, who I like a hell of a lot, um, came in. And, and FOP just loves him and others love him. But apparently he does not have what it takes uh, to really command uh, the respect of his officers. And you were trying to say what, Luke? Then we'll go to Kay. Oh, I was just going to take this in a totally different direction. But the um, one one might... If you, any student of history would look at um, uh, corruption indictments as, in some ways, a logical outgrowth of the war on drugs. When you have uh, large instances of of um, uh, underground economies with tons of money uh, changing hands and guns and drugs all illegal underground, um, you will see corruption arise out of that. I mean, to my knowledge, these cops weren't kicking in the doors of of um, alcohol sellers and stealing and robbing their ca- their um, their cash registers and taking uh, taking their whiskey um, but but that does happen when you have a huge underground economy that's outlawed and treated the way it is by society so um, not that it's good not that it should happen but but any student of history will see this happen again and again and again I was just going to add that, um, of course, I agree with some of the solutions that are offered here, that in addition to having a very strong police commissioner, which I absolutely agree with, uh, one that doesn't care about being liked, but is definitely concerned and in touch with the needs of the community and takes that into account with the police practices. And as we drill down and deal with this money, as we were waiting for Catherine Pugh, I'm glad she's finally called. We thought the next day she should have you know, put her hand down on the table and said, I want this, right. you know, this review happening now, the audit to happen now, to wait a few days. There was a bit of concern. I'm like, why the lag? If people are making money while sitting on vacation, who does that? <laughs> Who's able to, you know, order my ties and get paid overtime and then brag about it on tape and have that released for the public? That as we drill down with the money, I think that does not then solve the other problem that we're having with the police department, which is the ways in which they communicate and interact with the community, which is another huge issue that must be addressed. Clean up the money, yes, but deal with the fact that there's still a huge disconnect between the police department in Baltimore City and the communities that they have been charged with the right to protect and serve, and they are not doing that right. for many communities. Let's take a short break. We're going to come right back from this news, uh, not news break, just a very quick break, information break. Uh, and Malik and Jim and Hank, the next two callers up, will come your calls at 410-319-8888. Tweet us at Mark Steiner. Send us an email to talkatsteinershow.org. We'll be right back with our guests further looking at what's happening with the police in Baltimore in light of these seven indictments and very interesting quotes from the commissioner. Stay with us.
Welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We are focusing this hour in our local roundtable on the police uh, and we and the latest indictments. question really is what are the alternatives we have? How do you address this? $150 million in overtime. Um, what does money come from to pay for the um, consent decree, which, of course, could be one of the last consent decrees we see in the next four years, right. the, the consent <laughs> decree. Uh, and what do you pay for that? Is there an alternative way to do public safety in, uh, in this city? We do have very serious issues about crime in this city uh, that have to be addressed. What's the best way to do that? Right. We're in a very uh, uh, awkward situation, tough situation. What are your thoughts? We're here with our guest, Luke Broadwater, uh, who reports to the Baltimore Sun on local and state politics, Carl Stokes, former city councilman and founder of the Banneker Blake Academy of Arts and Science, Dr. Kay Whitehead, associate professor of communication and African-American studies at Loyola University, Maryland, and David Troy, co-founder of 410 Labs and co-founder of the Baltimore City Voter Facebook page. We changed that one. Make sure we change that one in our notes from now on. Uh, and on the way to the, uh, our phones, we're reminding you, Conversations like this are brought to you in part by the by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank. It belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or at sinusshow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. 410-319-8888. Malik, you're on the air. Welcome. Yes, thank you for accepting my call. Thank you for calling. I'd like to say that I'm, I'm in complete agreement with Councilmember Stokes and what he said. I think that there needs to be more accountability in our, the police department and that when you have police that are robbing and stealing from the citizens and when you have uh, the governor who's 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 reluctant to give the city money for education, but yet you have police officers that are robbing and stealing from the from the citizens, from the taxpayers of the city, within a hundred fifty something million dollars, when we need money for education, I mean, it's something really, really wrong with this with this whole picture. I mean, there has to be some more accountability. I think the commissioner needs to be fired. I think there needs to be more minority and upper management in the police department. It has to be a change. I mean, right now, because I'm a taxpayer in this city, and I've been a taxpayer in the city. I work for the government, and this is ridiculous. I mean, what I see is going on. These cops are, are, are running wild. It's like mad city here, you know. And and when you talk about we need money for education, and you got cops that are robbing and stealing, and 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 getting overtime, sitting down at the gambling table and down in Miami, and all this foolishness, and our kids are being mistreated when it comes to education. I'm appalled. I'm, I'm angry. I'm, should I say, pissed. And I'm com- in complete agreement with Councilmember Stokes and the young lady who spoke before the uh, commercial. And that's all I have to say. And I want to thank you for accepting my call, sir. Malik, I appreciate the call. Thank you, Malik. Let, let's get another caller in here, then we'll come right back to our panel of 410-319-8888. Let's go to Jim. You're on the air. Welcome. Welcome back, Jim. Good morning, sir. Good morning. But I've been, I'm 81. I've been involved all my life, and I've been saying the smoke went in. Uh, the commission and the police should be part of the cabinet of the mayor. When the mayor goes, that one go, and whoever comes in should get a dollar. So there should be some dialogue on the city and what's going on in the city with that department, with her cabinet member every day. She doesn't. Uh, it's a military, semi-military organization. When you have a semi-military organization, the people in charge are supposed to be the mayor and the president of the city council. So why aren't that commission part of that? And they have another person that works for him to take his day-to-day operation. You got to have somebody talking about all the conditions that happen every day. You know, you're talking about people's lives and taking advantage of people. They're selling drugs. They're robbing the drug dealers. They're robbing the guy that's selling cars on the street, making a living, and taking 20 grand for this. Is because it's not part of the cabinet. It's not part of the dialogue every day. It's a semi-military organization. And the mayor and the president council for to be in charge. Let me just mention. Jim, good, good, thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad you uh, we got to you. And you want to say what, Carl? I'm going to go to Luke and Kay and go around the room here. Um, although the police department is a state agency, it is under the charge and direction of the mayor of the city of Baltimore. Uh, the, the police commissioner is a part of the cabinet of the mayor. 
the mayor is in charge directly of the police commissioner, directly. She gives the orders. She, she's totally in charge. But they can't do anything internally. They can't order stuff internally like a change well, of the review board. Luke, go ahead. What are you going to say? Well, sure. I mean, so yeah, theoretically, in, in practice, that is true. But if the mayor wants to, she can order the police commissioner to do anything <laughs> or be fired, right? right. right. So she can right. say, get your... Now, what's different is the city council, it's argued, has no power over the police uh, department. Of course, last year when the city council tried to order body cameras, when Carl Stokes was on the council and others, um, and the, the mayor and the law department fought that, saying they couldn't do that because they had no power over the police department. So, uh, And then again, when you saw this dispute between Brandon Scott and Catherine Pugh, Catherine Pugh did not want the city council to have more authority over the police department. Um, she, I think mayors like to be in charge and not to have the council meddling in their business, <laughs> in, in their view. Um, <laughs> I like that, meddling in their business. <laughs> but, but I think the, the council views it as like, hey, we are, the, um, we are the representatives of the people as well, and we should have some say over the police department. So, it, it, you know, it really is somewhat of an, an anachronism, this, this structure, because the police department was created by the state. Um, but in, in function, it's fully funded by city government. It can be audited by city government. They're hired and fired by the mayor. I mean, this idea that um, somehow they're a state agency is, is not true in practice at all. No, it's not. And, and Melissa has tweeted in, trying to hear David. Melissa tweeted in, not only the $150 million in likely fraudulent overtime, how much will city pay in civil suits as we shortchange our kids? Oh. And retweeted, compare Baltimore audit at finance.baltimorecity.gov site's default and w- with Boston at publicsafetystrategies.com slash WP dash content. I'll check that out. I didn't know about this. I'll check this out. Our audit is woefully inadequate. You know about that, David? Um, yeah. I mean, the audit that's been posted is very, very, very you know, sketchy. And I think, you know, what's needed now is a much more detailed, you know, overview of what's going on. I think to Kay's point also about how the officers interface with the community, one of the problems with having the, you know, broken overtime structure is that it sets up all these bizarre incentives, right? So, like, people are basically, in order to enable the fake Mm. overtime, they have to do certain stuff, right, in order for the paperwork to all sync up. So that creates a whole chain reaction of perverse incentives throughout the department. And I shared this with the Department of Justice as they were looking at the consent decree. So, you know, if you really want to try to change behavior, you have to understand what's going on with overtime abuse. and, um, you know, I don't know how much of that they really looked into in, in trying to formulate the, the cures that are outlined in the, in the consent decree because, frankly, the consent decree doesn't talk a lot about audits and finance and incentives, and I think that's a problem. I think what, if I can just add to that, uh, one of the things I think is interesting in this whole discussion because we've been having the discussion for a couple of days, I'm sure, in your own circles and on the radio as well, talking about what's happening with the overtime and then really thinking about the, the further erosion of the public's view of the police department, that this is just one more thing Mm -hmm. to add to a long list of complaints and critiques that we have about what is happening in this city. Mm -hmm. Yes, we need the mayor. I mean, I'm so excited that she has come forward with this plan. We need the mayor to be strong in her resolve to clean it up. Now, what does clean it up look like? You know, stopping the overtime. And I I, I like what the other guest said, that it, it has always happened. You always have this kind of underground economy running, and alongside the underground economy you have you know the dirty cops running alongside that and then what you said call stokes for dirty cops to be dirty cops someone has to be complicit Mm -hmm. you think it's a clean cop but by being complicit you're actually being a dirty cop that all of this is happening within the city while the city is spending more money on this police department than we do on schools i know we're going to talk about schools but what has happened there to me that is another well well, that's another crime that's happening right so that Uh, is a serious crime crime that's taking place that is a crime and remember uh this overtime, the cops who are charged, this is the second or third level charge for them. In other words, the overtime wasn't the thing that got them into trouble. But the truth is a great many in the department are abusing overtime. Yeah. It, we put aside this budget, $16 million for overtime. It's already at $43 million spent. I thought it was 150. Why am I confused about that? The 150 is. That's over the last several years. Okay, over the last several years. Right. So it's already 43 million spent out of, and budgeted is only 16 million. So that doesn't trigger immediately 
um, when you got the $16 million in the first two months. These are not just court dates. Yes, you have to attend. This is a systemic, you, ongoing problem. On, on the way back to the phone, Tim, when you look at the, the prices facing our city schools with a $150 million, $130 million deficit. Yes. I heard from different sources over the weekend um, that horrendous things are being considered in our city yes. school system. Um, laying off of the, uh, the assistant teachers, mm-hmm. who are mostly community women, who know the kids and know the community who work in those classrooms. Absolutely. We're talking about, uh, they, I've heard that Baltimore School for the Arts, they may eliminate the Twigs program, mm. which is the arts program for our middle school students in the city. Absolutely. Um, and laying off the part-time teachers, which is almost their entire faculty. Um, and then talking about additional, another uh, 500 to 1,000 teachers could be laid off in the city of Baltimore as well. Right. Raising class sizes. I mean, I think that when you look at how we spend our money, yes. there are a lot of questions we have to begin to ask here. Yep. I mean, is, 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 at City Hall, Luke, is anybody connecting these dots? I think uh, the, the city council certainly is. Um, we've yet to see what um, Mayor uh, Pugh is going to put forward with her budget. She had... Um, a moment of of disappointment to many when she said she was going to announce something for the uh, for the schools and didn't. Um, so she, we, I know that she wants to increase uh, the funds for the schools. Um, she's looking for cuts. We'll see what she comes up with. But I know I've talked with several people in the city council. They say they're ready to cut the police department. Yes. Um, to put that money into education if yes. what uh, the mayor proposes is not adequate in their view. Let me go to the phones here. Let's see if anybody's dying to jump in. Okay, we'll go no, ahead. No, I'll go to the phones. 410-319-88. I'm sure all are dying to jump in. That was no fair. Yes, I am. 410-319-88. Let's see. Fred, you're on the air. Welcome. Yes, hi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Fred. A quick couple of questions. Why should people continue to live in a city where two of its most important institutions are dysfunctional, schooling and policing? Why are we not forcing the school to account for every dollar they've lost to create this deficit? Two, I believe we should just have the city, the school district, and the police department go in receivership because it seems that the leadership cannot do anything to get this city running in the right direction. Receivership, receivership by whom, would you suggest? I, I, I don't know, but they need to <laughs> be ran by someone else because obviously the people that are elected aren't doing what they're supposed to do because it, it doesn't take a rocket science to do some of the things that need to do. <laughs> hmm. and, and, and fourthly, what accountability or responsibility does Councilman Stokes feel he has for where the city is right now, because incumbency is a very terrible thing because Mm -hmm. they don't have any innovative ideas. And Catherine Pugh being the mayor, seeming that she was in the state legislature, she should have had already a plan to come in to correct some of these issues day one, day one. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. I think he's right on point in terms of my own culpability and responsibility, not to throw it off on the side. I mean, I have been fighting for the the five of the six years that I was back in city council in demanding accountability uh, through audits. At the at and and you know we lost that battle once and we were able to revive it a couple of years later. But still, as of right now, as David has mm. just said, they're not doing real audits. I don't know who the heck these people are that are doing the audits now, but. They're not truthful. They're not honest. That's they don't right. really contain any information, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's a problem. Like numbers, <laughs> right? Right. Luke, and then I'll come over to Ken uh, and back to folks. Say, I, th- I think everyone's concerns with the audits are are, are right. Um, we have, um, you know, these audits came out and they checked very things like, well, are the are the internal procedures for transferring paperwork from one to the other proper? And, mm, <laughs> and people right. want to see whether the overtime is being ripped off. Right. So, Holy so um, they, you know, and, and we spend over a million, I think almost $2 million on these audits. And um, I don't, you know, I'm not sure that they, the firms did what the public really wanted them to. One other point is four of these officers, uh, we checked into this. They had already, uh, the city had already paid out more than $500,000 to mm-hmm. settle lawsuits uh, filed against them. So there's got to be some questions about um, why wasn't more flagging done and why, um, you know, wh- why, didn't, why did it take us so long to know what the Fed seemed to know? Um, but yes, yeah, so you're right. Those are, those are very concerning issues. 
There's not a really well-funded police civilian review board or trial board in this city. That's part of the problem. That is right, part man. of the problem. If I could just quickly address the comment you made earlier, which will probably be, I know, be your topic for tomorrow, but around this notion of education, which I think we talk about a lot in this city, and what tends to get lost is that we're talking about the lives and future of children here, right? right? So when we talk about the police department, we're talking about what's happening with that, but this impact that's going to happen to the school system what right now, because of this deficit, in terms of losing SPAR teachers, those are your arts teachers, you know, the librarians, those are your gym teachers, like cutting out all of that for students, going after teachers who are not certified. And I've been talking to teachers around the city. Many of them are not certified because they put their paperwork in down at North Avenue, and there's a backlog with processing paperwork. So they're waiting for the paperwork to give them the final certification. But if the knife comes down, they'll be the first ones cut. It's about moving people around. You may pick up one teacher from one school because they have to cut and just place them in a new school in almost at the end of the school year and have them start over with children in the midst of all of this we're not really looking at the impact of the children that whole joke around it doesn't take a rocket scientist well i have my son say you know baltimore city doesn't want to train students to be rocket scientists Mm. because if you do want to train us to be rocket scientists or humanitarians or lawyers or doctors then you need to give us a stable education system and put the money into us instead of keep moving it out i mean what is it when you compare it to the police department budget i'm looking at you look is it like three to one or four to one in terms of how much three to one in terms of how much we're spending if a city spends more money on the police department than on the education its own children, then you tell me what the focus is. Well, so, so what's happened there historically is the city has sort of abdicated funding of the schools to the state right. because the state gives almost a billion dollars to the schools. They say, well, we don't really need to fund them then. Yeah. And so we, uh, the city has spent about double on police uh, as schools. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are asking this question right now. If the police department was cut, would we see any difference in crime? Because right now, the police department budget has gone up and up and up every year, and it doesn't seem to have any effect on crime, certainly not for the last two or three years. So um, would it even make a difference? Uh, I'm sure many officers would call it and say, yes, absolutely it would. Um, But I think some of the counselor are asking that question. I mean, I think that also, let me go to the phones here, but I think the problem is that people have to start thinking about this in a systemic way. Yes, it's not just about yeah. cutting the police budget no. and, and finding money for it's schools. Where you put the money. How it is spend. how the city spends its money, where, on, on what. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that w- says what our priorities are. And what our priorities right. are and how you plan yeah. out what it means to have a different kind of system Absolutely. of social justice and public safety that in the does. city. Not just about it's not just how about you reorganize the police, the police yes. so we are safe. And this and and if you we, it, it, right. you know it, it's yeah. all t- it's tied into Port Covington. It is it's tied into yeah. all these things. All we don't have no vision of what the city needs to do in a different way fiscally. That's absolutely uh, right. With an yeah. F, I mean, fiscally. Yeah. Yes. 410-319-8888. Let's see who's been holding on a long time. Chris, you're on the air. Then we'll get to Henry and Terrence. Chris, welcome. Good, good morning, Mark, morning. to your guests. Good morning, um, Chris. You, you're covering a couple of different topics, so let me be specific towards the issue <laughs> All right. of police accountability. Um, a lot of times we'll say that they are a paramilitary organization, and what I said before is that what holds military personnel accountable mm-hmm. is the UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice. If you remember that movie with Tom um, Cruise mm-hmm. and Jack Nicholson, that was about as much as the issue was a death in, in the Marine Corps and the Navy. It was about the Uniform Code of Military Justice. The police should have something like that. It is a form of accountability that holds people accountable from top to bottom, which is why you saw a colonel on trial for the death of a private, which did not happen directly um, by his hands, but by the people who served under him. Mm. There is no accountability in the Baltimore City Police Department um, above the ground level, above the patrol and even detective level. You have, when's the last time we've seen a lieutenant, a captain, a colonel on trial for something that has happened on the street? That is what the Uniform Code of Military Justice provides, accountability from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And it is adaptable to the police department. Again, they are a paramilitary organization. This is the only area where they are not in line with the military, and that is accountability. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate the call. Thanks. Just quickly, just quickly, it's a point I made earlier. If you're going to arrest seven officers for the crimes they're accused of, commanders have to fall. Right. Have to fall. And, and, and maybe part of the problem is that we think of the, 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 maybe the police department shouldn't be military. 
Absolutely, it shouldn't be military. <laughs> or, I mean, or look at what's been happening yeah. over the last several years with the flow of surplus military equipment into local police departments. I mean, there's a, a really good documentary called Do Not Resist that shows this. And I mean, you know, that's exactly what's happening. And the more that we turn this into a paramilitary organization, the less we're about really the rule of law and having a civil society and more about having kind of an occupying force. And that's totally not what we need. Right. On the way back to the phones, uh, then we'll come back to our other two guests we didn't just hear from just last moment, um, Luke and Kay, 410-319-8888. Let us now go to Henry. You're on the air. Welcome. Hello, Mark and distinguished guests. How are y'all today? Very well. Hi. Morning. Thank you. Uh, you're making some great points, and, and I'm going to tell you, um, it's been going on a long time here in Baltimore. We Because we don't have a civilian review board, mm. it has uh, a person at the top that's equal to the chief of police to run um investigations independent uh i noticed that they had the baltimore internal unit walk those cops out even though the feds were the ones that arrest them and it's just like uh in carroll county carroll county still has state police running as a private police department for them Mm -hmm. you can check it and uh because they don't want to get their own police department and it's ridiculous um these seven police officers and the gentleman said something about the military is absolutely right Everybody from the chief down should be ridiculed right now for those seven officers. There is no way that that overtime should not have been checked and somebody caught that doing an audit. Thanks for that call. And so, uh, Luke, let me let you jump in. Then we'll go back to the phones. Yeah, sure. I mean, as we've seen now, the the city council and the mayor have have now both called for more information. We have the mayor saying she's going to order an audit of overtime, and we have the city council uh, with a formal request today of all the timesheets of every police officer who is in a specialized unit, uh, not just the gun trace task force, but all the specialized units over the past three fiscal years. So we'll see how those uh, things uh, pan out. Um, one, One point I would like to make to the caller who suggested earlier that the school system has lost money or that money has gone missing. Um, that's something that a lot of people say, but that is not um, right, what right. the situation is. This is a situation where the revenue that's coming in is less than the expenses of paying for all the things the school system does. So um, I think that's a popular notion that's out there that I'd like to clear up. And we also maybe can post online here what B.B. Verdery gave us when she was on the show last week, I believe it was, talking about the schools where they have done the study showing – that the state actually has put less money into the schools in terms of the real cost of dollars in, in, right. in, in today's world, uh, not more. And they all pointed out that which has led in part to the, the, the structural the, deficit, structural yeah. deficit inside. And there are other factors sure. as well, but it's a complex thing. But Right. Yeah. And I think the other thing that sometimes gets missed is that this is also a product of decreasing enrollment. Um, so, you know, there's just simply less uh, dollars per student or, you know, there's a lot less students to, to allocate dollars to. And so that formula that's used to determine the revenue has affected things. And, of course, that is – the other side of that, somebody, somebody pointed out when that was brought up last week in the right. show was that's the reason that wealthy people pay $50,000 a year to put their kids in private schools so they can have fewer students in a classroom. That's right. Because they, I mean, that's right. But, 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 but that, that is one of the main pushes of independent right. schools in this city. You want smaller classes. You don't want more right. than 13 or 17 which students in the classroom, pay. which is why they pay. I mean, don't don't get me started, you know, on independent schools and the cost of tuition and what you're paying for the things that we're talking about, <laughs> right? Like I mean, you know, let's not go there. Thing. But I, I do want to know that when we start talking about, you know, fewer students, then I would think if I have $20,000 and 40 students, I don't have a lot. If I got rid of 20 students, and I still have $20,000, why aren't they getting better services? Fewer students, same amount of money, why not better services? And we're not seeing a connection between those two things. So let me jump, get get a quick calls in here. We can have a close around, around, uh, a a final thought about where this might take us. Terrence, you're on the air. Quick thought. Sorry. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, I just had a quick question, and please obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but why is it that our educational system funding seems to be results-based but for the police system, it's not the same way, especially with so much of that money actually going to overtime. Um, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense um, logically to me. Is there you know, a particular reason or something I'm missing in that equation? You're not missing anything. No, you're, you're stating the very, very, very obvious. Yeah. 
which is a big complaint. The idea that teaching as a profession is not a profession that is valued. It's not one that we're willing to put money towards without even recognizing the fact that for anyone to be a leader, to go forward, it's usually with the result of teachers behind them. But it's the field of education as a whole that is devalued. And I'm talking about education K-12, not higher education. So, Hank, you're on the air. A very, a very, you got like 30 seconds, brother. What you got to say? 30 seconds. This is the thing, right? Um, <laughs> due to all of this, right, all the good arrests that they may have made, right, how many of those will actually be abolished by the absolute ignorance of them being greedy and doing more than that? And then another thing, right, why can't you not, instead of firing them, make them work in bits or whatever it is for free to recuperate the money back that you lost <laughs> so you're not paying overtime back out later on in the future? Put them out there with purple vests on so you know that this is the person who took overtime money, right? And he's paying back his debt as opposed to firing him and know there's no repercussion. Hank, thanks for your closing thoughts. Let's get some quick closing thoughts here from our guests. Uh, David Troy. Ah, yeah. I mean, I think it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, how this uh, audit of the overtime stuff rolls out. I hope that that turns into much, much more accountability in terms of looking at the finances of the police department. Um, I'll be interested to see, uh, you know, what what further remedies the mayor uh, puts forth with regards to the school uh, structural deficit. I have low expectations and high hopes that something uh, will change with the, the police department. I have low expectations and high hopes that things will change with what's happening with education. I'd like to wait and follow up on the show to see if anything changes in those two very real areas of concern for taxpayers in this city. I'd like the consent decree to get started right now, this minute. I don't care that, quote, unquote, we don't have the money. As David says, we have the money. It's sitting yeah. right there in the police department. And the accountability issue, I hope the council goes nuts on this issue and, and hopefully with the mayor uh, to get on these issues. Luke Broadwater. The, the schools, the huge schools deficit, which could vastly hurt Baltimore for years to come, mm. and reforming this police department while bringing down crime are the two big issues confronting Mayor Pugh. And how she handles them may well determine her tenure in office. Thank you for you so much. Luke Broadwater, of course, covers local politics for the Baltimore Sun. Carl Stokes, former city councilman, now uh, working as executive director of the Banneker Blake Academy of Arts and Science. Uh, Dr. K. Whitehead, associate professor of communication in African and African American studies at Loyola University of Maryland. David Troy, founder of 410 Labs. Thank the four of you so much. Anytime. Thank you, Mark. Hey, thank, thank you, you, Mark. We'll come back to this. It's our city. We're going to make it right. The Mark Steiner's yours for production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadi Ramlagan. Our intern is Morgan State Senior Michael Dixon. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. The podcast of Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA. 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.